Thanks for checking out the Anchor Faith Message Podcast from St. Augustine, Florida. Now enjoy this message. So it's an honor that Pastor Earl's asked me to come and minister. It's always an honor. I love my church. I love my church family. I love every one of you. Um, you know, I've really kind of grown up here, and I say that every time, but I have. My, some of the most pivotal points in my life have happened here with you guys at Anchor Faith Church. Um, I answered the call to ministry. I came here. I've met my wife. I've had my children. My greatest triumphs, my greatest failures have all happened in this church body. <laughs> so it's exciting for me to come and minister, and it's always a great honor. This is never something that's taken lightly by our pastors or any one of us that step up here, because we know the, you know the responsibility to rightly divide the word of truth. The responsibility that rests on our shoulders to make sure that we're accurately communicating what God has said in his word. So tonight we're going to go on a little journey together. The title of my message is Lost in the Woods. Okay? The goal is to not be, so let's just be clear about that. But uh, anytime that we ever, anybody ever enters this pulpit at Anchor Bay Church, you know the message that we bring is not just the general message you would hear from the regular Christian religious church. We always bring the gospel of the kingdom of God. And that's not something to ever be taken lightly because you understand I was raised in church and I, you know, every time I minister, I say this and I give this little disclaimer, but <clears throat> I was basically born onto a pew. I think the second, the service right after my mom can, you know, testify the service right after I was born, boom, we were, we were there at church and we never missed. But in that, I was taught a lot of great things growing up. I was taught a lot of the word, a lot of truths and foundations that set me up for my life. But I was also taught a lot of religion because the message I received wasn't through the lens of the kingdom. And when I read the Bible, I read it through religious eyes until the moment came that I received the revelation of the kingdom until I put on that lens of the kingdom and then the whole world came to life for me. The whole word of God came to life. I mean, everything that I ever had questions of became answered when I received the kingdom message. So it's not just a sermon that we preach about the kingdom. Everything that we talk about, everything that we do, the way that we think, all of it hinges on the foundation of the kingdom. And if you guys missed Sunday, you need to go back and listen to it before next Sunday because Pastor Earl just started a new series. And it's, again, re-emphasizing and re-establishing you know, this foundation of the kingdom of God that really is just the message Jesus preached as well. I was reading through today and like, uh, you know, I read the Bible every day, but today specifically knowing I was gonna come minister, I started looking through the gospels and looking through the good news, right? The gospel means good news. And as I'm looking through the good news, what I didn't find in there was if you die, you go to heaven. That's in the Bible. I'm not discounting that it's not, it's, it's in the Bible. But when you're reading the gospel, why, if that was the best news for the church, why isn't it in the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John? Why isn't it specifically stated? In fact, if the Gospel and the good news for all humanity was when you die, you spend eternity with God. If that was the good news, why did Jesus forget to preach that? So when we, when we look at the kingdom of God and look at the, uh, you know, this forest, so to speak, that we've entered into, you know, we've heard it said a, a bunch of times from the pulpit. It's like the kingdom is the forest and every individual message of salvation, healing, forgiveness, all these, you know, redemption, all of these things are trees within the forest. But what I've found is with most modern Christians, they've come into the kingdom of God, gotten into the forest, but don't know where they are and don't know what they've entered into. And they're in fact lost in the woods. And they're wandering around. And if you ask them direct questions, you know, well, you know, why is your, if you just if, at work, if you say, well, why is your, why do you, why is your life so good? Cause God is good brother. And we walk into church and we're like, God is good. And then somebody says all the time. So we know the Christianese that we speak, we got it. But if somebody said, but why is he good? How many people go, uh, hmm, uh, you know, cause he is, that's not a good enough answer. Or if you said, how is God good? Uh, well, uh, because it's what he is. We don't, we don't really know what we have. So whenever we begin to look at the, what, what God is trying to do in us through the kingdom, we got to start with the foundation of Genesis 1:26. Put it on the screen. Some of you have heard this a bunch of times, like a thousand times. But honestly, some of you in here, this is your first time hearing it. And I'm just going to tell you, if this is 
one of the first times you've heard this message, you'll never ever be the same. You'll never able, be able to go back from this revelation. So every time this gets mentioned, anytime Pastor Earl ever brings up the scripture, it becomes alive to me. There's, we've not exhausted the depths of Genesis 126. Don't think, oh, I know where we're going. God gave man dominion, I get it. You, I'm telling you, I hear some of you talking in the lobby. You don't have it yet. <laughs> oh, I know what this is. Do you though, really? Because I, you know, you're, the, way you, the way you're acting is telling me you don't have it yet. But we're going to read it. Because this, understand, we're spoiled at Anchor Faith Church. We get the word all the time, rightly divided. We, I mean, our pastors do exactly what the Apostle Paul did. He says, I did, Apostle Paul said, I did not withhold from you the full counsel of God. And I'm thankful for real pastors that have raised us and developed us and taught us that way. But you realize there's other places outside of here that you'll go and they're not going to understand this. This is an answer to a deep theological question that church people and non-church people are both asking, why do we exist? God answers it on the first page that we see God, the high creator, the creator that, that emanates love, that emanates life, that, that has created all things says, and let us make man in our image according to our likeness. And then he says these three words that are the foundation of every human destiny from then to eternity. And I'm, I'm going to emphasize what I just said again. The three words that God says here are the foundation of every human destiny from this point through eternity. This did not change when Jesus showed up. God's original intentions for humanity never changed ever. His original intentions are his eternal intentions. So these are the most powerful words you could ever hear for your purpose, your assignment, and your destiny. God says, and let them rule. Okay. Then he says, over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the sky, over all the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. We know that God in the original beginning did not create man so that he could just be a being of worship to just worship in a religious setting. Everything that I've read in the Bible, I don't know if y'all have read the Bible, but I've read the Bible and everything I've read shows that God gave man a kingdom and dominion over the earth and an assignment on the planet to dominate the planet. And that didn't change with Jesus. So whenever God gave man a kingdom and said, You're gonna, you were born and created to dominate this world, that means everything that happened from the fall all the way to Revelation was to get mankind back to God's original statement of let them rule. Since it's the foundation of your destiny, realize anything other than you ruling is substandard living. And I don't know what version of Christianity you were told, but I've read the Bible and it empowers me to dominate right now. Though the Bible talks about the afterlife and what happens when you die, realize even after you die, you come back because you were made to rule here, not heaven. Who rules heaven? Think, let's just think about it. Let's think it through. Who rules heaven? Psalm 115, 16 is pretty clear. 116, 15. I don't know. Which, it's one of those two. Get, read both chapters. You'll find it. It says the highest heavens are the Lord's, but the earth he has given to who? Man or woman, mankind, okay? We're not trying to say just men, but he's given it to humanity, to mankind. So if God's original design was that we would dominate here, that's his forever design. That means Jesus came not to change the rules or to get you somewhere that you weren't made for. Jesus came to bring you back to the place that you were designed to rule. Okay. I hope we believe it. Let's go to Genesis chapter 2, verses 15 through 17. We're going to do some reading tonight. It says, and then God took the man and put him into the Garden of Eden to cultivate it and keep it. And I'm going to do what all the creative team hates. And I'm going to 
read portions of it, and I'm going to stop and expound. <laughs> I'm going to read and pause all through this. But it says, and God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden. Where did he put man? Did God do that because he hated man? Did he do that because he wanted man to suffer? No, God put man in the garden in the earth. Because that was God's very best for man, is that he would be where God put him on the planet. If it was better that he just be in heaven with God, I haven't found that. But it says in verse 16, the Lord commanded the man saying, from any tree of the garden you may freely eat, but from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for on the day that you eat it, you will surely die. God does a powerful thing for man here in this moment. He empowers his free will. He gives him an either-or choice. See, without an either-or choice, you don't have free will. You just exist and are, and you go around doing, and there's no consequence, there's no choice. But God gave man a choice. And I find it interesting, this whole Story starts with a tree. In the epic tale that God is writing as the ultimate storyteller, he starts out his whole story with you and I and a tree. That'll be important later. Write that down. A tree. Draw a picture of a tree. If you're like me, you take notes and you draw little pictures next to it. That's fine. We're not going to do a Bob Ross tutorial. Don't worry. It doesn't have, this, is, this was supposed to be a happy little tree. But it became not a happy little tree. So, but he says, in, he put the tree of knowledge of good and evil and you shall not eat from it or in that day you eat from it, you will surely die. So at this point, God gives Adam a choice to either obey the command or disobey. Life is simple for Adam. Would you agree? Yes. That he is given obey or not, don't obey. And I think it's worth saying for us as believers right now, life is still that simple. We overcomplicate things when really God is still dealing with us the same way. Okay. Okay, we'll just keep going. It's fine. If we look at what sin is, we know that in this story, just for the sake of paraphrasing, we know that Adam obviously doesn't obey this. We see that in the next chapter, he's, he, God gives him a woman, and then in the next one they go and they eat from the fruit, and they're separated. God said, you will die if you eat from this fruit. You'll be separated from the king. You'll be separated from the kingdom's realm. And the ultimate thing that he was separated from was his dominion. See, sin always causes you to forfeit dominion. Always. Sin disrupts your dominion. Sin comes and divides your dominion and your assignment from what you're doing. So whenever God said, don't eat from the tree, it was more than him just giving him options because God just wanted to see if he would obey it. God was giving him a safeguard to say, here's how you keep your dominion. So if sin destroys your dominion, if sin hinders your dominion, if it keeps you from operating in your dominion, he had to send his son to save us from that environment. If we're to, to define sin at Anchor Faith Church, I love how our pastor always defines sin. It made it so simple for me because sometimes, you know, you have this whole list of sins and you've got the unpardonable sin and you've got, you know, these other sins that are, you know, whatever. But in the end, sin is only just in its simplest form, disobeying what God said. Adam didn't cheat on his wife. He didn't murder. He didn't steal. He didn't do the Ten Commandments stuff. All he did was disobeyed what God commanded. And that sin affected the whole world forever. Like, well, you know, sometimes there's some sins, you know, like, you know, that, that, are, that are worse than others. Sin is sin, meaning if God says to do something, just do it. It doesn't matter how small it seems. It doesn't matter if he's talking about plants and fruit or if he's talking about people's lives and relationships. Just do what he says. And life's simple. All right, let's, let's go further. Let's look at what sin does here. Let's go to Romans chapter 5, verse 12. And this kind of gives us the explanation here of what happened with, with, with Adam. Romans 5, 12 says, Therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world, and death through sin, so that death spread to all men because all sinned. So death entered in to all humanity, 
and became the nature of everybody born after Adam. Sin became inevitable. By Adam eating the fruit, he made sin inevitable. Then the next passage we see in Romans, if we go to Romans chapter 3, verse 23, this is one we know really well. Most Christians know this one really well, but they know it for different reasons than we're going to talk about. But it says, for all have sinned and have fallen short of the glory of God. So again, what does this mean? That we're all, we all are, we're never going to make it. Never going to make it. Is that what this means? No, y'all are taught too good. See, this would, this would slay at a different church. If I went to the uh, religious church in some other town, this, they'd be like, what? But y'all are taught too good here. See, these point, somebody online, they're going to be blown away in their car. They're going to be like, what? <laughs> Romans chapter 7, put that up there. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And then if we look at Romans chapter 7, start in verse 18, we're going to read. It says, for I know that nothing good dwells in me. And again, the writer of Romans here is, is kind of lamenting his past life. Okay. He's not presently talking about his present state, but he says, for I know that nothing good dwells in me. That is in my flesh for the, for the willing is present in me, but the doing of good is not for the good that I want to do. I do not do, but I practice the very evil that I don't want to do. Can anybody identify that that was how life was? You're just trying to do good. I just want to do something good, but it just seems like everything I'm doing is bad. Verse 20 says, but if I am doing the very thing I do not want, I, I am no longer the one doing it, but sin which dwells in me. I find then the principle that evil is present in me and the one who wants to, uh, in me, the one who wants to do good. For I joyfully concur with the law of God in the inner man, but I see a different law in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin, which is in my members. So if we stop there, this is the state of every person that's lost without God. And it's important to emphasize that as we move further on in this message, because there is no hope without the king. You're stuck. No matter what you do, no matter how good you want to be, no matter how many good things you try to do, it's all going to be burnt up and fall away if you are not in the kingdom and with the one who can fix the problem. See, this man that's talking, this, this person, this personification of this person needs saving. They need a savior. Okay. Verse 24. Wretched man that I am, who will set me free from this body, the body of this death? Then we see in verse 25. Thanks be to God through Christ Jesus our Lord. So then on one hand, my... Uh, myself with my mind, I am serving the law of God, but on the other with my flesh, the law of sin. Does it go further? There's not another one. We'll stop there. Because I did that on purpose, and I'll remember why in a second. But in this dreary, terrible picture of the, this horrible person that he is, I mean, we sing a song about this in Amazing Grace, right? Do we all know that song? Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. So in knowing that we need a savior, can we all agree we need a savior? In fact, those of you who've been born again, are you saved? Yes. Come on, are you saved? Yes. From what? Sin. What does that mean? No, separation is, is the consequence of sin. So are you saved from sin or are you saved from separation? I'll wait. I mean, like, because if you ask most Christians, I'll tell you the popular answer. I'm not going to come down. I could come down and be like, Mr. Joe, uh, what do you think uh, you're saved from? And then put him in an awkward position because then I'm going to come up here and correct what he said and be like, you're wrong. Here's what I really meant in my message. I'm not going to do that to him. I'm just going to tell you what he was going to say. What he was going to say, most, Chris, most modern believers, and it's got finger quotes in case we're just audio recording only. See right here. Most modern believers, if you said, you're saved, what were you saved from? They would say, hell eternal punishment he paid the price for my sins so that i wouldn't have to pay that price and all they're talking about is the consequence of sin but this this man in this passage isn't travailing as a wretched man because of a consequence that's paying out he's not at the end result yet yet he feels the wretchedness that he is he needs to be saved from his wretched state presently. Okay. 
Okay, 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 okay. We'll go somewhere. Hold on. Let's go to John chapter 8. John chapter 8, verse 34. We all want Savior Jesus to save us. We, we all understand he, he is a Savior. He does that. But who he truly is is Lord. So when we're trying to define between Savior and Lord, what does our Lord and our Lordship that we confess when we get born again, what does that save us from? What were we in? What were we bound by? Bound by sin. Okay. Y'all are getting it. You're putting it together. It says, Jesus answered them and said, so if this was in you know, my Bible, this would, these letters would be red. They're white right now. I have zero Bibles that have white letters, but it's okay. It says, Jesus answered them and said, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is a slave of sin. And the slave does not remain in the house forever, but the son does remain forever. Then here's a popular scripture we quote. So if the son makes you free, you'll be free indeed. Free from what? Free from sin or free from the consequence of sin? I mean, because right here it says the one who commits sin is a slave of sin. Then it says the son, if he makes you free, you'll be free. I could just be in this one passage and say it looks like the son frees you from the slavery of committing sin. It's going to get a little quiet for a little bit, but all the rest of you will get on board in a second. Because when in the end, we want Jesus to be the savior that meets us at the pearly gates and says, hey, you're okay, come on in. And what we get uncomfortable with is the savior that meets you in your bedroom and says, hey, I can save you from actually needing a consequence from here on out. See, it's, it's understood. When you accepted Christ, the work that he did in his death, burial, and resurrection, you became a brand new person. When you got born again and you made the covenant with your mouth that he was Lord forever, you're, the old passed away and you became a brand new person on the inside, Amen. free from sin. And all your past sins were forgiven. But the problem is, if in that moment he said, it doesn't matter what you do from here on out, he undoes what happened in Genesis 1 when God gave man choice. See, Jesus' work on the death, burial, and resurrection and sitting at the right hand of the Father, that work didn't undo free will. And we're saying that's right, but it's going to it's, it's be tight, but it's going to be right. It's only going to get heavier, but it'll be okay. I promise it'll end well. Is that okay? Can I forecast that at least? Because our issue is we're like, oh, well, Jesus forgives all my sins, even the ones I'm going to do. We've already failed. That wretched man that was going to be saved apparently just wants to stay wretched. So when sin showed up, it was, it was inevitable because there was nothing you could ever do outside of Christ's payment to be free from it. But the moment that he came and the moment that he died on the cross and became sin on our behalf, because isn't that what it says, that he, on the cross he became what was inevitable for us. But it's important to note there's, something, there's things that took place before the cross. Jesus' life isn't summed up like most of the, you know, the Catholic creeds, right? Those are all summed up with the birth of Christ, the death of Christ, and we miss everything in between, which is all the kingdom stuff. And it was written for a reason. So why don't we go and look at that? I mean, even if we look at Matthew chapter four, look at Jesus as our perfect example. Would you say Jesus is our example? Raise your hand, let me see. Is Jesus the perfect example? Okay, then I never should hear from you. Well, but that was Jesus. Like, brother, can you do it? Because Jesus, well, that was Jesus. No, he's our example. An example is something to be followed, and he's not unfair, which means whatever he said that he did that we could do, we can do. So in Matthew 4, when he's tempted by the enemy, did he bow to sin? Was he a slave to sin? So when temptation comes to you, are you a sinner? Or are you in Christ, the one who overcame. 
Because again, when somebody says, well, I've been saved, the problem is they're lost in the woods because they know I've been transferred from the domain of darkness into the kingdom forest. <laughs> What's there? I don't know. But I'm here and it's good and I love it. And God's good all the time. And they can't even answer, what have you been saved from? And then when you start with it, well, punishment. T tell me if I, which one makes me a better parent. If my child I know is going to do wrong goes out, runs out in the street and gets hit by a car and I know it's gonna happen. But I pick them up, I take them to the best doctors and get them patched up the best I can. And I, and I, and I take care of them and make sure, listen, you, you got hurt, but I'm gonna, we've got the whole environment here to restore you. Or am I better as a parent to protect them from the thing that would cause them to have to go through the whole recovery? Then we say, Father God, we think he's a deadbeat dad. We think that he's up there sitting going, yeah, we'll see what you do. Let's see it. Let's see it. Let's see it. Oh, you're going to, yeah, okay. Do what you want. Look. Okay, now I guess we're going to have to restore you again. And there's this whole cycle with God that he's just forgiving and saving us after, the, after we've done it. And that, well, there's a punishment, but we'll get you out of the punishment. Oh, there's a punishment. We'll get you out of the punishment. And he's not here as your bailout plan for your punishments. He did way more than that. In fact, that's what the Old Testament people lived in. They were constantly given sacrifices because God wasn't in them and all they could ever do was wrong. So all they were gonna do is blow it all the time and God was gonna have to forgive every time they brought a half of a dove or a half of a cow or a half of a lizard or whatever it was they had. <laughs> every time they made a sacrifice, God was forgiving something they had done. Whenever Jesus showed up, he changed those, the game. He said, now you don't have to do the stuff that incurs punishment. He saved you from the thing that was going to hurt you. But we don't want the personal responsibility of that. Not we at Anchor Faith Church, but you understand what I'm saying. Because the gospel that I find empowers my choice and responsibility. The gospel that's preached in other places widely removes responsibility and says, just show up, do nice stuff, you're always gonna fail, but God in the end will forgive. That's a false message. That's not in here. That's not in my Bible. Or any of the other ones. I got the Bible app. I got a whole bunch of Bibles. I can't find in any of them. So let's keep going. We'll keep, we'll keep moving on. Because sin was truly the thing that bound us and held us down. I mean, again, if you were chained in a, in a, in a cell in a horrible place, I mean, you think of the worst circumstance you could think in some kind of prisoner of war camp. Because really, isn't that what we were before Christ? that we were held against our will as captives by a horrible, evil person that only wanted wrong for us and tormented us in our mind and in our choices, in our lives, and then you know, wreaked havoc in our, in our guilt and in our families, and we were bound, and all of a sudden the Savior shows up and takes you out of that. He doesn't wait until one day you die and then says, now it's all going to be better. That's not a good Savior. I want the Jesus that's powerful and the grace that's powerful to come in and break the chains off of me and get me in the kingdom now. Not, not the Jesus that just waits until it all goes in a handbasket to wherever. <laughs> See, towing a line here. That's yeah, the Bible word. I saw y'all think I was going to say it. You ain't going to catch me cussing up here or anywhere else. <laughs> Let's go to 1 John. Because the work that Jesus did was not just to forgive your past sins. And I found so many believers really can only talk about where they came from and who they were and the old man. And look what I did before God. And here's my testimony. But really, answer the better question. Where are you going? Because I could ask the question, you were, what were you saved from? But the better question to ask is, what were you saved for? Why did he save you? Because <laughs> he loves us. Listen, go listen to Pastor's Wednesday night messages on the root of love. Does God love us? Sure enough, he loves us. But why were we saved? Why did he save us? Just so that we could feel his love? No. We got it. It says, and you know that he... 
capital H, in case you didn't know, when you read the Bible and there's a capital H for he, that's talking about God or Jesus. Some of you are like, duh, and then some of you are like, oh my gosh. I just learned one thing tonight. I know that he appeared in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. Okay, let's read this part again. Okay, he came to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. Are you in Christ? Are you in sin? Because you can't be. See, you're getting it. It doesn't work. Sin and Christ are impossible roommates. They're never moving in together. They can never dwell together. You'll never find them both in the same room. In him, there's no sin. No one who abides in him sins. Okay, hold on. I got it. I already heard it. I heard it from some of you already. Well, brother, sometimes we make mistakes. You know, if we sin, we're not talking about making a mistake as a believer. We're talking about habitually choosing to just sin and go against what God says. So let me give that disclaimer very clearly. When you're saying, well, sins, you know, I've, you know what, what happens when we sin? Listen, I'm talking about people who know what God said and choose I'm not going to do that. So know that as we continue to read. It says, no one who abides in him sins, and no one who sins has seen him or knows him. Little children, make sure that no one deceives you. The one who practices righteousness is what? Righteous. Now hold on. I thought we'd been made righteous. Have we been made righteous in Christ? Yes, yes absolutely we have. So the question is, do we maintain that? Talking about works. Your whole life is about works. You wake up in the morning because of works. And you go sit down at your works and you do your works. Don't tell me about works. Everything we do is working and doing and moving. And that's because we're alive and we're, we're moving forward and we're passionate about everything that we're doing. So yeah, you're going to work something. You might as well say, I'm going to stay righteous. How do you stay righteous? Practice righteous. So if I said, a person who's practicing sin is someone who is making a choice. I'm not going to do what God said. Well, then the opposite for righteousness would mean I'm going to do what God said. And that behavior and that attitude and that heart is righteous. So don't be deceived. A person who practices righteousness, that's a righteous person. Just as he, remember capital H, I just told you that. You should have written that down. He is righteous. The one who practices sin is of who? The devil. the devil. For the devil has sinned from the beginning, and the Son of God appeared for this purpose to destroy the works of the devil. No one who is born of God practices sin. Because. There you go. Because his seed abides in him, and he cannot sin because he is born of God. There's a lot. There's a lot to be said. Go back to the last slide. Okay. So in keeping life simple, the person who practices righteousness is what? A person who habitually practices sin is of sin. And is of who? Is of the devil. For the devil has sinned from the beginning and the son of God, Jesus, appeared for this purpose to destroy what? What are the works of the devil? Don't say sin. Don't. Do not do, not do that to me. You're going to leave here and your children are going to ask you, what did you learn about? And you're like, sin? Because that's what they do to you in class. You know, we taught them a whole lot more at Anchor Faith Church than that. They walk out and say, what did you learn about? Jesus? What about Jesus? Don't do that to me. The works, it's got to be deeper than that, right? So let's find out what were his works from the beginning. Let's look at it. Let's go to Isaiah chapter 14. This is the first account that we have of something that was taking place before planet Earth. Before the creation, there was this whole coup that happened in heaven. So if we pick up in the story, it's, where is it at? See, I told you if this had happened, I was going to call you by name, Kevin. There we go. Everybody say, thank you, Kevin. He's the man. I'm telling you, he's one of the best that I've got back there. Isaiah chapter 14, verse 1 through, you, you saw it, 32. We're not going to read all the way there. But it says, when the Lord, wait, wait, hold on. 
Skip ahead for me to verse 12. Almost. Here we go. So we pick up and the prophet Isaiah is getting, getting this picture of something that happened in heaven before cre the creation. It says, and how you have fallen from heaven. O star of the morning, O son of the dawn, you have been cut down to the earth. You who have weakened the nations, but it, you said in your heart. So get this. This is the devil. This is Lucifer in his beginning. The first time that we see rebellion in God's kingdom, he says, you said in your heart, I will say, I will. I will ascend to heaven. I will say, I will. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. And I will say, I will. I will sit on the mount of the assembly in the recesses of the north. And I will. See, you got it. Ascend above the heights of the clouds. And I will make myself like the most, most high. But then it says, nevertheless, you will be thrust down into Sheol to the recesses of the pit. So the first time that we see sin, or what we could call original sin, because it doesn't get any more original or was it precedent setting than this. The root of the first fall in sin was selfishness. The devil said, I will do what I want above what God wants. That's the work. The first work of the devil that we just read was in the beginning. So then the very next time that we see him show up and start doing his work in the earth is in Genesis chapter 3. Starting in verse 1. I deserve this because I did this to pastor last week. I made him wait. <laughs> Genesis chapter three, verse one, it says, now the serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field, which the Lord God had made. Do we know who that is? And he said to the woman, indeed, has God said, you shall not eat from any tree of the garden. And didn't we read earlier that God told Adam, eat freely of any tree, but do not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil that's in the middle of the garden. Don't do it. The only command God gave that was an either or, the only one, is the first conversation the enemy brings up. Why didn't he talk about anything else? Why didn't he make up any other sin? Why didn't he get Eve to try to cheat on her husband? Or why didn't he get her to go and try to steal from something or, or do, do any other kind of detestable thing that we can think of? Why didn't he try to tempt her and say, you should murder Adam? Think about it. The only thing that he wanted to happen was to find what has God said, all I want to get them to do is disobey it. He didn't tempt her with anything else. So he comes and he says, indeed, as God said, you shall not eat from any tree of the garden. Has he said that? Don't eat from anything. Doesn't that just sound crafty? God said you can't eat, right? Like you're not allowed to eat at all. Well, no. Oh, okay, let's have a conversation then. Sneaky, 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 snake. It says... The woman said to the serpent, from the fruit of the trees of the garden, we may eat. But from the fruit of the tree, which is in the middle of the garden, God said, do not eat from it or touch it or you will die. Now, whether she added or didn't, not my concern. But this next part is interesting. Of all the things he could have told her or had her do and all of the sin that is, that is in the earth and all the options and opportunities, the only thing he came after was what God said. Think about it. If the word of God, leave this up here. The word of God is so valuable that God himself said, I exalt my word above my own name. He's got the name above all names, but he said, there's one thing that's higher than that. And that's my word. In fact, the way he created the whole universe was with his word. Whenever mankind fell, it says he sent forth his word. So the most powerful entity in the whole universe is the word of God. And that's the only thing the devil cared about, even in the garden. And he shows up and he says, what did God say? Then the serpent says, what God said won't happen. You won't die. For God knows that in the day that you eat of it, now listen, listen, wait, go back, go back. Listen to how the conversation then turns. Because at this point, Adam and Eve have purpose. They've been given a mandate. They've been given their 
terms and conditions of what keeps this dominion mandate. And all they know is God said it, we're doing it. Then the devil says, listen, God knows that in the day that you eat of it. See, I know we kind of read through this quickly, but he made it personal. He said, in the day you eat of it, go back, go back, go back. For God knows that in the day that you eat, now you can go forward. From it, (laughs) your eyes will be opened. All of a sudden, they they went from this God focus of purpose and what God has assigned them to your eyes will be opened. When you eat, your eyes will be opened. Doesn't this sound like his work in the beginning when he said, I will do what I want, I'll have. The only way that he could get them on board with his way of thinking is to get them to say, but you will have your eyes opened. And you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And then here's where the whole shift takes place before the fruit was eaten in verse 6. Everything falls apart right here in this verse. It says, when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, when the woman saw, was she blind before? Did she see the tree before? Did she know that it was there because she saw it? So this is a different kind of seeing. It says, when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and it was desirable to make one wise, she took. She fell right into the trap. The same trap that every believer will fall into if they don't know where they are in this kingdom. And that is the choice between do I get what I want or do I do what he wants? Is my focus on what the king says or is my focus on what it does for me? But I want, see that's dangerous talk. I need some me time. How about it just all be his time, whatever I'm doing? I know the Lord, I feel like the Lord's drawing me that, but I, careful, careful, because you're not sounding like Jesus. You're not sounding like kingdom. We read Genesis 126 and God says, let them rule. They don't sound like ruling. Because the moment that she, he was able to get her to focus on herself more than what God said, then she fell to the temptation and did what we call sin. She disobeyed the word of the king. All sin stems from you choosing what you want above what God said. That's the root of all sin. A selfish choice to take what I want instead of what God has said. And every day, that's all you're faced with is that choice. That's your tree every day, self or God. So God could talk to modern believers this way. He could say, listen, any good thing that I've ever made for you, everything I've said in my word is all at your disposal. Take all of it and choose all of it. There's just one thing you can't choose, and that's yourself. The moment you eat from the tree of self, you destroy your dominion. So if we need to be saved, (laughs) couldn't we say the greatest thing that Jesus saved me from? I could say this. The greatest thing he saved me from was myself. I don't have to side with myself anymore. If I come into a situation where my own selfish desires rise up, I don't have to choose me. I can choose him. And in that moment, I don't need saving from a consequence. I'm saved because I don't have to have a consequence. I'm not incurring more and more and more consequences every day because I'm just a sorry sinner. Don't be deceived. If you're a sinner, you practice sin and that's what you are. But if you're righteous, you practice righteousness. It's really simple. I love how that verse, remember it started out, I said, oh, little children. (laughs) That means this is elementary principle. The one who practices righteousness is what? The one who practices sin is what? A sinner and belongs to? How are we overcoming? Yeah, thank you. (laughs) Bing, a light bulb. It's not just the shine on my head. (laughs) See, I knew that joke would go over well. It's not in here. I didn't write it down. Pastor Marcus would have. I did not. So note that. 
So again, when Jesus shows up as our ultimate example, he didn't show up as a person who continually blew it and all we see is his pattern of making a mistake and how to get out of the mistake and making a mistake and how to get out of the mistake and making a mistake and talking to the father. That was not his pattern. His pattern was only dominating. It was only rising above temptation and saying, I don't have to succumb to it. It was only being faced with situations that he said, I'm gonna choose God. And Jesus is the perfect example because he always only ever chose God. But he's Jesus, right? Nobody's perfect. Hey, 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 don't say that. You'll sound stupid because somebody was. His name's Jesus and he's your example. And you would say, I'm a Christian. I'm Christ-like. I'm like Christ in every way except I sin all the time. You can't be that. You can't be in Christ and a sinner. Doesn't it sound wacky? I mean, seriously, there's people at the Christian radio just this week. It's why I don't turn it on. And it came on randomly against my will. I didn't even want it on. And it came on and this person was like, you know, we're all just sorry sinners. Why is that a coined phrase among the church? If you're a sorry sinner, you're not in with him. Again, in the Old Testament, that's what they were. Abraham, all of them could get together and sing together. We're all sorry sinners, saved by grace. I mean, they were sinners. It was inevitable in their life. But Jesus' work in his death, burial, and resurrection saved you from the inevitability of sin. It is no longer what just happens with you. We're all human. Yeah, we're all human, but I'm in a different kind of humanity. I'm in a redeemed humanity. I got born again. I came into this kingdom. And I know where I am. I'm not lost in the woods. I know where I'm supposed to be. Ask me what I've been saved from. I've got an answer. It's good. The last question that we really will ask is what are we saved for? Because again, if this was really just about Jesus coming and dying so that you could just go to heaven one day, he didn't have to do that. He came to empower your daily living. He didn't save you for an end goal. He saved you for now. In fact, all through the Gospels, Jesus was always addressing people's present tense life. Present tense. This kingdom that we preach is not a, just a future tense. It's present tense right now. When you got transferred from the domain of darkness, could, do we all understand this, this passage? We were transferred from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of his beloved son in whom there is redemption and forgiveness of sins. When are we there? Maybe. When are we there? When, when did that happen? Are you in the kingdom right now or does that happen when you die? Does it change the way you live right now or will it just be better when you die? Is there something you need to do? Is there responsibility for you? Because I found most believers when they're lost in the woods is because they have allowed sin to come in and have such a stronghold that it breaks off their dominion. And even though they're supposed to dominate, they fall into the trap of trying to dominate while being dominated and it'll never happen. If something dominates you, you'll never dominate the planet. And if your purpose is to dominate the planet and something's dominating you, you'll never enter your destiny. And I found so many times when somebody says, what's my purpose? You know, I just want to know my purpose. It's a big question, guys. It's a huge question. How do you find your purpose? I mean, it's one of the biggest challenges you'll ever have is finding and entering into the assignment that God gave you before you were born. But so many people can't find their purpose because the foundation of their purpose is to dominate, yet they constantly allow other things to dominate them and they, you can't dominate while being dominated. Well, I've got this addiction and you know, God just, he, he just forgives me and I, I just go back to it from time to time, but it's just because you know, I'm just only human. I gave up only human when I got into Christ. I became a God human. I became a human with the spirit of God living inside of me. That's different than only human. So I'm not only human. I'm no longer mere. Didn't the apostle Paul say that? We're no longer mere. We're something greater because the greater one is in us. Okay. Well, let's, let's look over here. Let's go to Ephesians chapter two. Because what were we saved for? Why would we be saved? Why does this matter? Ephesians chapter two, verse one says, and when you were dead in your trespasses and sins, we've covered clearly before Christ, we were this, right? We were dead 
in our trespasses and sins. Then it says, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince and the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. The sons of disobedience. Sin is simply disobeying the word of the king, which means these people are just operating in sin. Verse three says, among them, we too all formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh. Important to note the word formerly. He's not talking to believers at the church of Ephesus and saying, we too all presently live in the lust of our flesh because we're all just sorry sinners saved by grace. No, he said, we formerly lived in the lust of our flesh, indulging in the desires of the flesh and of the mind. And by nature, we were children of wrath, even as the rest. Verse four, but God being rich in mercy, let me just tell you, you didn't deserve his saving. We didn't deserve it. Again, no, nobody's given the argument. It's not, of, it's, not, it's not of works lest any man should boast. It wasn't something we did to earn his saving us. But now that he's saved us, don't diminish what he's done because you want to go back to what he saved you from. Again, even as a parent, leave that up there. As a parent, if my child went over and got shocked and electrocuted in a light socket. And I rescued them, I'm like, oh my gosh, and we, I resuscitated them and they came back to life and I saved their life because I brought them back to life from them shocking. And they immediately got up and went back again. And I just let them do it. And then oh, I'll do CPR again. And we just have this cycle where every time they get up, they, how wacky. But how many believers are doing that? The very thing they were saved from and rescued from and the consequence that they had, all of a sudden they, they wake up in their salvation and go right back to the thing they need sa saving from. He didn't come to save your consequence. He came to save you from the thing that was creating consequence. But God being rich in mercy because of his great love in which he had loved us, even when we we're dead in our transgressions. He made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you've been saved. And he raised us up with him and seated us with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Say, in Christ. Is there sin in Christ? Where are you? In Christ. Is there sin in you? Are you gonna sin? If you do, can you stay in Christ? It's a deep question. We're gonna keep going. Verse seven, so that in ages to come, he might show the surpassing riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ. Is there sin in Christ? If you want what's in Christ, can you get it through sin? Okay. I'm just trying to, we're just trying to just, just, or do we get it? You know, I'm just wondering. For by grace you have been saved through faith, not of ourselves, but it is a gift of God, not as the result of works so that one may boast, but for we are his workmanship. And again, we ask the question, what were you saved from? But then the next question is, what were you saved for? Yeah. It's answered here. We were his workmanship created in Christ for. That's a bad word. And it's in the Bible. <laughs> works is a bad word. In fact, I find most of the time when someone wants to quote to me something about works, they use this passage. Yeah. It's not of our works, lest any man should boast. But if you just finish out the passage, it says we were his workmanship created in Christ for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. I think God is expecting more from believers than believers are expecting from believers. Are we tracking with what's happening here? God prepared and created us for good works. So you were saved to do the Lord's will. And there's nothing holding you back from always obeying and getting it right every time. The only thing that would ever hinder you is the same thing that would hinder even the garden. The same thing that would, I mean, who was, listen, who was Lucifer's enemy? We know that in the, in the story that picks up with humanity, the enemy in the garden is the serpent. Who was the serpent's enemy in heaven? Himself. It 
Sometimes we, we pray and we want God to deliver us from something, but the thing we really need delivered from is our flesh. And I'm sorry, you can't have a deliverance service for the flesh. You're not going to come down and we're going to play, dun, 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 look what the Lord, and you're going to come down and just dance the flesh off. You're not going to put on worship music in your house and your flesh is going to melt away. And when you make your daily choices and daily decisions, you're still going to have to choose. Do I side with what I want or do I side with what God says? Do I side with my flesh or do I side with my spirit? It's, Paul was clear. You're at war. These two things go against each other all the time. You're never free from the conflict of do I choose flesh or do I choose spirit? In fact, if he delivered you from the con conflict, he's removed your free will. The existence of the choice, do I choose God or do I choose me, means you have a free will and a God who will never violate that. And it's such a powerful eternal principle, the devil will never, ever violate it either, ever. The devil's coming after me. Yeah, but he's coming after you with one thing, a choice, always. The devil made me do it. No, he didn't. You're a little kid. Little kids say that stuff. Don't be a little baby about it. The devil didn't make you do anything. The devil offered you a choice. See, it was easy for Eve when she really just knew, oh, I'm just going to do what God wants. And all of a sudden, whenever a, the contrary came in and was handed over on a platter, don't do what God said. He didn't force her to do anything. He offered a choice to choose. Do you want what you want or do you want what God does? And he had a good argument. Look what it would do for you. Think about you. Think about your family. Think about how tired you would be. Think about how hard it's raining outside in churches today, but what if the rain gets you really wet before you go in? You could listen on YouTube on Thursday. But God said, don't forsake the assembling of ourselves together, and why would I do that for the sake of the weather? But what will it do for your kids? They'll get wet too. These are the real life situations that we deal with. We're not, I mean, not, God's not tempting everybody to murder and rape and steal and plunder. With good people, all he does is he tempts you with good things that aren't the right thing that God said. Because in the end, all he tempted Eve with was eat some fruit. Who's going to say that's bad? Who ate fruit today? Was it bad? No. So what he did is tempted her with something that was good, but not right. But we have to be mature enough to distinguish between the two. What has God said that I should do? What has God said in his word? Do I do that thing or do I do what I want? The last scripture tonight we'll look at is this. And we should leave here tonight empowered. We started one way, we're ending one way. Because I do want to make mention of this. Because I just had this thought. And you know what? It was awesome. So I'm going to say it. God started the whole story with a tree. And when that one fell apart... He started a new story with you with a tree. The thing, wow. He, in the Bible, it says that cursed is any man that hangs on a tree. Why? Because the first curse was hanging on a tree. It was taken off the tree and used selfishly. So be careful with what you do with the man who hung on a tree for you. Because you can take him selfishly and miss the gift. That when man fell with the first tree, God offered a second tree that contained all that you would need to overcome. First John chapter four, verse four says this. You are from God, little children, and you have overcome. Overcome. Say, I've overcome. Because greater is he. Remember, look, he with the capital. Got it? He that is in you. He who is in you than he who is in the world. What could the world come against you with that would force you to forfeit your dominion? Nothing. The better question is, what could you do and bring against yourself to forfeit your dominion. Because in the end, whether we do God's will or don't, we'll stand before him alone. Not with our pastors, not with our parents, not with our friends, not with our children, not with the person who did us wrong. We're all alone. We'll stand there and he'll say, did you do my will?
Or did you do yours? And you'll give an answer. One of my favorite quotes by C.S. Lewis is he said, in the end, there's only two kinds of people. Those who say to the Lord, thy will be done. And those to whom the Lord says, thy will be done. You have the choice and the ability to choose God, to choose right, and to live above sin. And only you. But again, 1 John 4, 4, and you are from God. And you have overcome. Because greater is what's inside of you than anything that could come against you. Amen? All right, let's pray. Father God, we thank you, Lord, so much for the word tonight. We thank you that you truly have redeemed us and saved us and brought us out of what was damaging our lives into a lifestyle that would only produce life and joy and peace at all times. Lord, you empowered more than just a consequence and an afterlife, but Lord, you empowered our present life and our ability to choose right, right now. So, Father, as I pray right now, I thank you that each and every one of us, Lord, no matter where we've come from, no matter what we've done, we're not focused on who we used to be or where we came from. But, Lord, continue to reveal to us the plans and the purposes and the, and the dreams and the things that you have for us in our future so that we can truly give an answer and say, I'm a child of God. I was a sorry sinner. I was bound by sin. But grace has brought me and made me a brand new person who's no longer hindered by anything this world would throw at me. Thank you so much for listening to this message. If you want more, subscribe to our message podcast on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, and SoundCloud. Rating and leaving a comment will go a long way with helping our messages get better circulation. If you'd enjoy watching our weekend messages, visit youtube.com forward slash anchor faith. We'd love it if you'd subscribe, leave a comment or a like on the messages. If you'd like to find out more information about us and how we're influencing the world and help support the work we're doing by giving, just visit anchorfaith.com.